if you're in the room, you might have noticed the topic. Uh, so hopefully you're here for this. Uh, using graphic novels in high school, middle school classrooms. Um, I'm Bill Borman Cornell. I teach at Trinity Christian College. Uh, professors, it turns out, only a third of our job is teaching. Another third is going to committee meetings, which is probably my least favorite part. But then the remaining third is doing research. And so I research young adult literature in general. And I do a lot of research with graphic novels in particular. And I'm especially interested in seeing how they are used in the classroom. And so that's what we're going to talk about a little bit. Trinity Christian College um, is where I teach. And just wanted to take a second to mention that um, we have a couple master's programs, but we're rolling out a new one next year. And that master's is going to be in children's literature. So if you were thinking, I really need an education master's, but I would like to do one that is insanely fun and enriching without having to spend a lot of time talking about buzzwords like best practices. Uh, this would be the perfect program for you. Uh, and then I'd get to teach you, and that would make me happy. Um, so that's what that's all about. That's my email. How about that? Everyone has one of those these days. Okay, we're going to start out just by trying to figure out what our prior knowledge is, because I know how to teach. Um, so has anyone used graphic novels in their classroom? Nice. Which ones? What did you use? Um, we'll come back. It's okay. It's yeah, just a block. We'll be right back. Yeah. Or someone over here. Yep. Oh, nice. Did that work? Yeah, I love it. That's great. Excellent. Christy? American Horror Chinese and The Arrival. Nice. And I know The Arrival worked well. American Horror Chinese? Yeah, it, it worked. And Emily has used Mark and Swallows. Again for Swallows? Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. American Horror Chinese was used in a lot of classrooms and proved to be kind of complicated because there's identity stuff going in there, going on in there that's a little hard to figure out. Uh, but that's fantastic. Good. Um, so nice. Uh, which graphic novels, which ones? Uh, let's ignore that second question. I don't think it's very important. Um, so those of you who have used them, how have you used them? What have you done with them? Oh, do you remember yours? Yeah, I pulled up the slides. That's great. Ago. What is it? Um, I had, we did literature Nice choices. That's that's quite a challenging bunch. Yeah, there's some easier ones. Let's yeah. How do your kids do them? Um, really well for the most part. Um, they chose which like their top three, and then they kind of gauged what would be. What sort of work for them? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Of those books, um, I like Level Up a lot. I found Tina's mouth kind of tiresome after a while. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that's cool. I mean, if it's their choice, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, other folks who worked with them, how did it go? Was it okay? Or what did you do? I know uh, Christy did. Well, yeah. American Horror Chinese worked well, and I had a really small class um, who think they hate reading and hate school and hate everything in my classroom, and they read ahead. Okay. They read it together, mostly. Um, the arrival, I know I, I talked with you about that. Yeah. I had a So Christy adapted it, and I actually uh, used this in a, a book that's coming out in about a year. Um, she had him, she, I guess she positioned um, post-it notes to help direct him in terms of what he should notice, which was a really nice adaptive solution. I like that a lot. Uh, the great thing about graphic novels is because it's all embedded, the words and the pictures are together. But that also means that um, attention can be tricky for some kids. So some of you have mentioned that it was really good for getting kids excited about reading. And it does that with a certain sort of reader. It won't do that with everybody. Like when they first came out, people were going, this will solve everything because kids will love to read. Some kids just can't read them. They don't like them. It, it doesn't work for them. Um, what I find it is really helpful for is kids, especially who maybe used to like to read back in third, fourth grade, maybe partly when they were read out loud to because they could get pictures in their head and they could see Wilbur, you know, and, and like Charlotte in her web and everything, and that was awesome. 
Uh, and then they hit that fourth grade, fifth grade point where suddenly all the, the read aloud goes away and it gets replaced with textbooks which are not as much fun to read and they're a lot harder to picture. One of the things graphic novels can do is they can reteach kids how to get scenes in their head, which can be incredibly value, especially for English class when we're trying to teach them how to read novels because you really have to do that or short stories or whatever. So yeah. Um, and before we leap into things, what are you wondering? Like, what are you hoping I'm going to cover? This way I can feel really inadequate when I'm not planning on doing that. And then panic and adjust and everything will be fine. Uh, what do you want to get out of this? Well, I mean, a nap would be nice. I totally get that. Yeah? I want some new book ideas. Oh, good. I did that. Yay! Okay. Thank you. Nice. Okay, anyone else? Yeah? This is so perfect. Oh, this will be really good for you. Yeah. Okay, so at least two people will be satisfied. That'd be great. Anybody else? Okay, well, I'll just deal with them, and then the rest of you will kind of come along, and that'll be fine. Okay, uh, so what's with the fancy language? Isn't a graphic novel just an overgrown comic book? If you have taught them, has anyone gotten any pushback from parents on this? A little bit? Yep. We're getting less and less of it because... They've been around for long enough that it's less common. I used to have it that when I would pick up the graphic novels I had ordered through interlibrary loan at our college library, there was one night librarian who whenever I would pick them up, she would look at me like... And I felt like, look, you're a librarian. Your job is to give me books, and then I read them, and it's awesome. So the term <laughs> graphic novel is a horrible choice. Um, because graphic novels are not graphic only. Right? They're words and pictures. That's what makes them work. Um, and they're not just novels. So it turns out there are a lot written about, say, math or science or history or anything else. Um, and so it's a dumb title. Some people prefer the term comics, but that's problematic for other reasons because then you get confused about those things that you pick up in the grocery store that are like 30 pages long and only feature superheroes with impossible bodies fighting other people with impossible bodies for no apparent reason. I mean, I love them, but that's not what they are. Um, and it's important to get this distinction down. So, um, comic books are really short. And because they're really short, there's not as much you can do with them thematically. So something like the X-Men, over a period of like 20 issues, can get at some really interesting themes. But there, it's, it would be like trying to get themes out of a, a soap opera. You could do that, but it would involve watching a lot of episodes before anything really happens. Um, and so graphic novels, there's more time. You can develop things more fully. You can deal with a greater range of subjects, which is cool. Um, yep, comic books still predominantly about superheroes or funny animals. Uh, Donald Duck, that sort of thing. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but we probably shouldn't be studying it in middle school, high school. So I've got a definition. The graphic novel is a book-length narrative told using the conventions of a comic book. Panels, word bubbles, that sort of thing, right? All right, so we're all up to speed on that one. <coughs> what do we know about high school and middle school teachers, how they use graphic novels in the classroom? I mean, in terms of the research, right? That's what you really want to know. What is the research? I, I could tell you wanted to know that. Um, there are a lot of studies about graphic novels, but nobody seems to be looking at how they're actually used in the classroom. We've been looking at how they do in terms of comprehension. We know that. Um, we've recently done a couple studies that use eye tracking software to figure out where kids look when they're reading. We know more about the process of the reading. We've studied the graphic novels and what could be useful for teaching with them. Nobody really has ever looked at what teachers are doing in the classroom now. We've been teaching with graphic novels now for like 20 years. Teachers are developing techniques, but no one's done a study. So a colleague, Dr. Jung Kim of Lewis University and I, are collecting data for what we hope will be a series of papers that will address how that happens. Yay! I wonder how that's working out for us. Let's find out. So the data collection, sorry, that's just a plug there. If you want a really good book about how to use graphic novels in the classroom, um, I, I know one of the guys who wrote it, um, and it does a nice job. That one is designed for all um, high school classes. So there's this chunk in there that deals with uh, English, but actually there are also areas for math and history, which, so you might want that one. Um, 
next year at about this time, another book will come out that I'm working on, and that one is going to be specifically about English class. Um, so, um, not been much reported about how graphic novels have been used. So what we did was we collected names of teachers we knew using graphic novels whenever we spoke at practitioner-friendly conferences, like Allen, LRA, NCTE, ALA, and uh, CEA, although the first time I did that was two years ago. We were just beginning the study, so I didn't have that many names from that study. We also collected names of teacher, sorry, that would be S. I wrote this in a real hurry, I'm sorry, who used graphic novels. We developed a survey, we sent it out, and all in all the results were... Aren't you on the edge of your seat? Like, what happened? What did they find? Yeah, kind of disappointed. Uh -oh. um, we collected nearly 50 emails. We got 47 responses. But the short version seems to be most high school English teachers uh, teach graphic novels pretty much the same way they teach regular novels. Um, they encourage students to engage in visual analysis, but there were no specific goals or methods to accomplish this. Now, that's not the teacher's fault. If anything, it's the professor's fault. Like, why are we not figuring this out and teaching them? But we're kind of waiting to find out what they will do. So when we wrote this book, we partly used the data we got from the study that was useful, and then we partly piloted some different techniques to see what we could make happen. We also got some really good quotes from the data which we're using in the book. Um, so uh, we set out to figure out some uh, approaches for using graphic novels in the classroom. Um, so a couple things. Uh, number one, studying graphic novels as literature. So this is what mostly we do when we use them. We maybe use them in um, literature circles where they pick them out, which is cool. But essentially, we are asking them to approach things the same way they would approach any other book. Is that fair? We ask them to pay attention to pictures, maybe. But we just don't do that much more with it, which is OK. As I say, professor's fault. Um, if, if you want, in a nutshell, what you can do differently when you're teaching graphic novels, this is the sentence that I'll be talking about through the whole thing. Um, what we should be doing is we should be looking meaning, for meaning in the text, obviously. We're used to that, right? That's what we do all the time. Also in the images, and most importantly, in the intersection of text and image. So I grabbed this random uh, slot here. For, I don't even know what graphic novel it's from. But I was doing that mostly because I liked what it was saying. But it's as good an illustration as any. So when we're gaining knowledge from this picture, when we look at this thing, what do we know? I mean, like I haven't given you anything else. You don't know the title. You don't know what's going on in the story. All I've given you is one panel. What can you tell me? They have been in a mission. What's that? They have been in a mission. So somebody has a mission. This guy is telling somebody they have a mission. Someone else? Okay. So that's from the text, right? We know this from the text. What else do we know? There's a, a figure in the back behind who must be important in some way because it's in the background. And it's, it's a creepy guy. The whole group is creepy. Why are they creepy? So they're wearing weird robes that are pulled down over their eyes. That's a little creepy. They're red robes, which you don't often see in real life. Their mouths are very sinister. Their mouths are sinister. Certainly, I mean, look at that, right? They're certainly not smiling. I don't know what this guy's problem is. None of these people are smiling. They look really serious. So we don't even know what graphic novel that is. But we gained information so far from the text and from the images. How do we gain information from the intersection of the two? Is there anything that tells us? The two other picture and the... Um, like, yeah, well, so how does this text relate to this image? Like, what's the connection there? It's so obvious no one's saying it. That's why I'll just answer my own question because it's easier that way. So if you were going to say, like, the voice in which this is spoken, it's a creepy voice, because this is a creepy guy, right? That's the way we take text and image and we combine the two. We'll do more of that in a minute or two. Um, okay? So um, one of the things we do with graphic novels is we teach with themes. Now, what I've done here is, as I'm presenting information, 
I'm also uh, suggesting books you might want to check out. Um, so this is one of them. Probably worked best for uh, high school. Um, it's called The Tale. I'm sorry, The Teal. The Tale of One Bad Rat. Wow, I am so embarrassed. Uh, Tale of One Bad Rat. It's by Brian Talbot. Uh, it's about a girl in England um, who, uh, when we first meet her, she's a runaway. Uh, my daddy's sense goes off immediately as a father. I'm going like, she needs to get somewhere safe. But actually, things work out okay. She drifts around. She ends up in the Lake District. Somewhere along the line, we find out that she is a victim of sexual abuse from her father. And when she's in the Lake District, she meets a really nice old couple who hire her to help them run their uh, uh, bread and bed and breakfast. And she ends up gaining the strength to be able to decide to confront her father. Um, not ideal for absolutely everyone in high school, maybe, but for some students, it's a really powerful book. Anyway, that's on the side. Um, so there are a lot of themes that are out there in graphic novels, and that's good news. Um, you can pair them with regular text novels. So one of the things you can do is take a regular novel and a graphic novel that are dealing with the same theme and put them together, and that allows students not only to see differences between the two books in terms of the way that theme works out, but also differences in the format and the ways that makes them think, right? So whenever we learn multimodally, multimodally is like when there are two different modes that affect the way we understand things, we learn differently, okay? Reading a poem is different from listening to a song. They both have lyrics, but when you listen to a song, the music helps influence the way we understand the emotional feeling of, of that, those lyrics, right? Same thing is true with graphic novels, so it's nice to be able to compare that. Uh, themes, by the way, are more than just a word. I teach amazing students who are going to be English teachers, and whenever we read a book and I ask them, what are the themes of this book? Have you ever done that? Have you asked your students, what are the themes? They give one-word answers, right? They're always saying things like, uh, family. Friendship. Friendship, love. Hard work. Hard work. Those are topics. We want themes. So a theme might be the way that families hold together in a difficult time. Right? The way that love grows over a period of time. Um, what were the other ones? Hard work. Hard work. Uh, that hard work pays off in the end. Or maybe that hard work doesn't pay off in the end. Or maybe just that hard work is hard. But it almost always has to be stated as a... Stated as a sentence in order to have something to it, right? Uh, I think for Christians, a great place to start when we're looking at literature is the narrative of creation, fall, redemption, new creation. Um, and this really helps a lot when you're talking about, what am I going to get out of this book? So sometimes when I'm teaching my students, and again I have awesome students, but like in children's literature, we'll be talking about controversial books. Should we read controversial books? And it's, you should see this. It's so heartwarming. They all care so much about their students, they want to protect them. And they all immediately go, no, 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 no. If it's got a bad word in it, if it has violence in it, if there's some indication that at some point sex might occur at any point, no, 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 we shouldn't do that. And then I lead them into a trap, which is so not fair, and you've maybe done this too, and I go, so we should not be reading books that have bad words in them. Right. And our kids should not be reading books that are about violence. Absolutely not. And certainly not books that have any mention of sex in them. Absolutely not. They should never look at those books. Right. And then we say, there goes, my job. There, goes, there goes the Bible teacher's job. So it turns out the Bible has all those things in it. And then I say that, and then what do they say? Well, that's different. Because when the Bible has, like, sex in it, it's sex out of marriage or something, it's using that to show that it's wrong. And when the Bible has violence in it, you know, like violence against Jesus, it's not saying that violence is good. And I go, yeah, yeah. One thing it's showing is, uh, like, the goodness of creation, but then the fall. We get murder, we get death, we get all this stuff, right? Should our kids read about that? Well, in the Bible, okay, okay. But that theme runs through everything that we study. So that's a good place to start. Um, one of the most classic graphic novels ever now is Mouse. If you've read Mouse, Mouse 1, Mouse 2, um, it's about the Holocaust. Huge parts of it are about the brokenness of sin. There are also some pretty amazing parts that are about redemption. 
um, which is pretty cool. Uh, so that's a place to start if you're thinking about things. Uh, story structure. Um, okay, this book I just put a plug in for only because uh, I know the author. It's a Heisinger, right? So Curses is by Kevin Heisinger. Kevin Heisinger went to the high school I used to teach at, uh, Ileana. I don't understand why they have not renamed it Kevin Heisinger Christian High School, because he's huge. But no one really knows that, I guess. Um, I put that up there because that's actually a panel that is entirely about 28th Street in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So there you go. Um, so story structure is another thing that we can teach when we're looking at graphic novels. And I'll explain those first, then we'll talk about the panel. Um, story structure, figurative language, and literary terms. Um, so description in graphic novels puts a gloss on the images. Sorry, we're going to talk about it now, because now I realize why I did this this way. Okay, so if we look at this one, he's got a picture here of a road, 28th Street, Grand Rapids, Michigan. He says, what was once a country road with a handful of stoplights became a four-lane with hundreds, one of the slowest, most unpleasant stretches of road in Michigan. Okay. Now, you may have other opinions about that. doesn't matter. He's the one who wrote the book. Why does he tell us that if he's going to give us this picture? Doesn't the picture convey all this? Why do we need the words? Okay, the words allow us to... Yeah, we get, the, we get the history here, right? It used to be this, now it's this. Okay, why doesn't he just say, what was once a country road with a handful of stoplights became this? Shows his feeling about it. What's that? His feeling. He hates so it. He hates it. He <laughs> wants us to know that he hates it. Actually, the character is sort of saying this, but yeah, absolutely. Any other reason why he wants to include the words? Yeah. I don't know this out of context, but it doesn't look that way. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes there's an irony, and at least those of us who are English teachers are totally about irony. There's an irony between what is said and what is shown. Um, and so that, there may be a, an ironic interaction. Any other reason why you might have included this? Yeah? It might be missing some of the information because I can look at the picture and don't see that it's unpleasant, that it's so big, that it's so bad. I just see a road. Yeah, I mean, he's trying to make it look unpleasant. I mean, there's a supercuts. Um, he's trying to make it look unpleasant, but he really wants us to get that idea. So he's going to make sure that that comes through. Excellent responses. Yeah, yeah. So when we're teaching kids, we have to get them to understand that there's this, but this is not just there for no reason. Every word that goes into a graphic novel and every image has been carefully thought out. These things take a long time to do, so it makes a difference. Yeah, there's irony. See how that's you are so amazing. You got the irony already. We weren't even up to that point. That was phenomenal. Um, some terms happen for words and images, recurring motifs, for example. So I don't know how often we teach this. I remember when I was in high school, I had a, an English teacher who, with uh, the eyes of Asher Love, pointed out there are motifs of, of eyes and windows in that book that keep coming up again and again. In graphic novels, those motifs can come through in words but they can also come through in images. And so if you see an image that happens more than once or more than twice in a graphic novel, that's a recurrence and that's there for a reason. That creator is trying to get you to think about that in a certain sort of way. Fortunately, you don't have to answer that question. You just need to say to the students, you see that? There were ducks in that first panel on the first page. Now we're halfway through the book. There are those ducks again. What do you think those ducks mean, huh? And then let them figure it out. Um, metaphor works with images as well. You sometimes don't realize this, but there can be comparisons that come through in the images. And that can take a lot of different forms. Um, there's a graphic novel called Pride of Bag Baghdad. Has anyone read that one? It's about a, a, a group of lions who, during the bombing of Baghdad, the recent bombing of Baghdad, whatever that was, five, six years ago, uh, these lions got loose from their cages, so they wander through the city of Baghdad. They are the only characters, and you get their thoughts and expressions as they're trying to figure out why the humans are doing this to themselves. Um, that whole thing functions as a metaphor, but there are moments in there where you see the lions engaging in some kind of metaphor. Um, there's a particular uh, 
downed building that they kind of think looks like a throne, and they keep coming back to that, and the question is sort of who's on the throne. Um, and then you want to watch for the interactions of words and images, so I mentioned irony. Sometimes those things are supporting. This is kind of supporting. Sometimes it's adding to. This may be more of an adding to. Sometimes they're non sequiturs. There are graphic novels where for a while one story will be happening in the text and a different story in the pictures, but the two stories thread through each other. That's another cool thing to point out. Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics. How many of you have read that or know of it? If that's the single, I mean, other than my book, which is my book. Um, Scott McCloud's is really, really helpful for understanding how they work. Graphic novels and literary interpretation. Um, so, there are schools of literary interpretation, and we usually get to this in AP and high school, but I've been telling my students in both high school and middle school that it might be helpful for, for younger students to start to learn to think about literary interpretive lenses, seeing uh, things in certain sort of ways. So, um, there are lenses like reader response, some of you have been to grad school and you go, oh my word, I'm so familiar with this term. Reader response is the idea that what we read is a combination of what the book contains and what we as human beings bring to the book, right? So if I read a book and Mark reads a book um, and uh, Diana reads a book, we all will have different experiences because we're all bringing different things to that book. And that can be unpacked and that can be really fruitful especially because kids love talking about their own thoughts and interpretations. Genre criticism, I'm sorry, new criticism, I'm just going to pick the highlights. Genre criticism, where you look at the structure of the genre. If it's a mystery novel, why is it built the way it is? Uh, economic criticism is a way to look at something and think about the economics of it, right? Why critic criticism, uh, okay, right. It's a way of looking at it, and um, I'm just this looking for misspellings as I go. Um, it should be ism, and it's sim, and at least and the beginning two of, of them. It is CRT. Yeah, uh, I was, yeah, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. Okay, you wrote it like four times. <laughs> uh, um, economic criticism is um, when you think about the characters in terms of their economic station in life. And obviously, some of these worked with some books and not with others, right? So you want to think about the themes that you want them to look at in particular. Gender criticism. Uh, it used to be called feminist criticism. People get really upset about that and bent out of shape. The idea is just to look at a book in terms of the way it is depicting genders and thinking about that a little bit. What does that say about our society? Um, that could be really useful for people. Um, political criticism. Uh, archetypal criticism, there are other ones. Um, choose a school of criticism that fits the piece best. Tim Gillespie's book, Doing Literary Criticism, is the best book I've ever run into for making this clear to normal people, like not professors. Like if you're normal, you can read this and you'll understand how to use it in your teaching. Even if you never teach a graphic novel, it'd be a useful thing to have. So um, just as an example, this is a scene from um, uh, the... Uh, American Born Chinese, uh, and it's my favorite page because it's funny and disturbing. Um, you probably can't read it from there, so I'll read it to you. The top panel, which is the box, says, On the morning after we arrived, with the scent of our own home still lingering in my clothes, I was sent off to Mrs. Greeter's third grade at Mayflower Elementary School. I love that her name is Mrs. Greeter, and I love that it's Mayflower Elementary. That's fantastic. So this is Mrs. Greeter. She's kind of funky. Check out the earrings, right? And she says, Class, I'd love us all to give a warm Mayflower Elementary welcome to your new friend and classmate, Jing Jang. And he says, Jin Wang. And she says, Jin Wang. And she says, He and his movie, and she, he and his family recently moved to our neighborhood all the way from China. And he says, San Francisco. She says, San Francisco. And then this happens. Okay, so we back up a second. If we're thinking of it in terms of identity criticism, put yourself in uh, Jin's shoes. It's his first day in class. He's being introduced to the classroom. <coughs> and what happens here in terms of his identity? Already. Why? 
he, she said he's already, and I'm not sure what this means, but I, it seems we'll negative to me, right? Yeah, no, perfect. They, they're not pronunciating it. He's not from China. It's from San Francisco, although the origin, so he's already like, oh my God. This right. I mean, this would be like if I introduced someone to you as being an English teacher who was actually a Bible teacher, right? <laughs> this the whole time. That, that person would be, was that amazing? That person would be feeling like, I don't belong here. Like, I don't have an identity here, right? Um, anything else in this picture that might affect Jin's perception of his own identity? Yeah? All the kids with white. We got a whole bunch of white people here. There's nothing wrong with a whole lot of white people, but um, you know that's going to affect the way he sees himself, and especially when his name's been mangled, and he, these they've been told he's from China. Yeah. Yeah, they all look really disinterested or angry. Yeah, so that would be disinterested slash amazed slash stunned. I don't know what they are. Confused. But this is the angry, right? Mm-hmm. What what is this guy about to ask? I mean, we don't know, but what kind of question is it going to be? This is not going to be a good question. If I remember from the novel right, I think it's, does your family eat dogs? Right? Now, this whole novel is about identity, so identity is a great way to look at it. But to look at a page like that and get the students to think about this, um, he also, in this one, he almost looks a little bored, like, I can't believe this is happening. His eyes are at half masked. He isn't stunned. Half masked. Uh, the whole thing is crazy. Okay. <laughs> Trying to keep moving on. So, um, if you were teaching, let's say, history, I'm doing my best, man. That's all I got. Um, you'd want to know about this book, Magical Life of Long Text. Dong Tech Sam is a memoir <laughs> of a person who found out that her great grandfather had been a famous vaudeville magician. Like, he had opened for um, the Marx Brothers. I mean, he was huge, and nobody knew about him. Because when vaudeville ended and we went to TV, magicians, you can't do magic on TV because everyone assumes it's special effects, so just completely vanished. So she goes out trying to find out what happened to her her great-grandfather, what his (laughs) life was like. Um, And so part of what the book does is... It, uh, her hint, <coughs> I'm just going to go home. Uh, her hunt, uh, she's hunting to figure out fact from fiction. So she does a lot of sourcing, which history teachers get really excited about because that's something they can use. But actually for English teachers, at this particular point in our nation history, nation's history, talking about how we know things are true and things are not true is kind of important. She keeps interviewing... Um, different magicians who knew him, who are now very old, and none of their stories line up. They all tell totally different stories. And she's trying to figure out, I mean, how to, how to reconcile all this. So it'd be great for English, as an intro to like a, um, a research paper unit, to point out how hard really it can be to find the truth, but also for history, because of the historical research with two commas, and the art, and the book combines photos, drawing, etc. I'm going to somehow find a way to burn this when I go home. This is really bad. Just to end it. You're going to be okay. Yeah, I don't, I'm, you don't understand. I'm really struggling here. Um, here's another thing you do that's really cool. There are a lot of amazing graphic novel adaptations of um, sort of regular books. Um, I put up here some of my absolute favorites. There are more. Um, the Metamorphosis. The, uh, the story by Kafka, where the guy wakes up and finds out he's been turned into a bug. Um, Peter Cooper does this with, it's almost like a, uh, like a woodblock style. It's really cool. Gareth Hines uh, has adapted the Iliad. He's also done King Lear and um, Beowulf, and he's awesome. Um, he puts so much time in it. I mean, like this illustration on the cover, that's what they're all like. And he's such a nice guy. When you meet him, you just go, wow, he's a really nice guy. Um, you know, like if you ever wanted to Skype with him in your class, he would totally do that. Uh, speak, the graphic novel. How many of you read that as a regular novel? Anybody? Speak. Speak. Powerful book. What's that? I can't read you as a graphic It works. Yeah, I couldn't either. And when I saw it, I went, yeah, it works. 
Um, there are a lot of images like this. It's pretty stark because it's such a stark book. And really interesting to compare those two and the way that adaptation works. Um, Lori Hulse Anderson loves the adaptation. She's, she's very positive about it. Romeo and Juliet. So there's a bunch of different Shakespeare ones. The manga Shakespeare, which is this series, um, takes the plays and sets them in weird locations like Neo Tokyo. But it really works. And the kids like them. Uh, they're pretty cool. I, when I found this, I got so excited. I'm so old that they were teaching the lottery back when it was new. Um, it's a really good adaptation. The only issue I have with it is, and it kind of fits the story, but absolutely everybody in that story looks Norwegian. Like there's no diversity whatsoever, which is okay, I guess. Octavia Butler's Kindred. Do you know this book? Oh, it's an amazing science fiction book about a woman, an African-American woman, married to a white man in the 1970s. And she, it's like suddenly she falls through this hole in time, and she ends up back in the time of the plantations. She is still her full-grown self, and when she arrives, there's a boy drowning in a pond. She saves him. He's the son of the master. It also turns out that when he grows up, he is going to rape a woman, and that's going to result in this woman's grandmother, I think is how it works. So she keeps being called back in time to save this kid. If she doesn't save him, her own family will die out. Yeah. Um, and the way it deals with issues of race, it's really pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> Pre-read it before you use it. It's the kind of thing where it's going to depend on the maturity of your students, um, whether or not they can handle it. Wrinkle in Time. Okay, I love Hope Larson's work. She's fantastic. I got so scared when this thing came out. I love Wrinkle in Time. And I was going, nobody's going to mess up my book. Hope Larson totally gets it. She totally gets it. Like the scenes where I'm going, oh boy, oh, oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. She really does a nice job. I just wish the people's noses were slightly smaller. I don't know why I wish that. It's a weird thing to wish. Um, those are all really good. Um, when you're using those, I recommend having them read both and do a comparison of the two. Partly because that way they won't try to get away with reading only one of them. Um, and some readers will find the, the regular book easier. Some readers will find the other book easier. It kind of goes back and forth. So some classroom activities with graphic novels. So first of all, how do you read them out loud? I am uh, I'm embarrassed to say this. I'm just not that smart of a guy. I, for a long time, I had teachers asking me this question. How am I supposed to read these things out loud? And I said, I don't know. I always read them silently. Um, and then finally, I ran into a teacher who said, oh, it's easy. I said, it's easy? I've been thinking about this for five years. What's the answer? She said, it's kind of like you read Shakespeare or a play. You assign parts. They all have their books and you have them read out loud the, the uh, word part, and then what she does is stops um, every so often and asks them to go back and look at the panels and see what they pulled out of the panels. Um, that's the best way I've come up with yet, other than projecting the whole thing, but that's uh, time-consuming and difficult, and I don't know that it adds that much. We mentioned uh, Christie's post-it note annotating. I meant to put Christie's there. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> there you go. Um, so interpreting pages, images, facial expressions. Uh, I did this, uh, well, I did a different talk, but I talked about graphic novels two years ago, and I used this uh, picture. I was looking for another one. I looked for like an hour and a half, and I just grabbed this one again because it works well. Uh, this is from a graphic novel called Plain Janes that was published by a now-defunct uh, DC Comics graphic novel imprint that was called Minx, I think. And they were trying to appeal to girls, and they tried for a year. And apparently they didn't make enough money, so they gave up. It was a really good graphic novel, Plain Janes. There was a sequel to it, too. But when we talk about having them um, sort of uh, interpret pages, images, facial expressions, this one works really well. So um, this is this girl. She's coming into a new school. This page appears probably 10 pages in. So you're not missing that much. So she walks in. She's, you can see her, she's the one in the dark dress who stands out. And there's this other table over there. 
And the girl with blonde hair says, hey, you, new girl. Then we get this panel. Look at that expression. Everybody see it? She says, my name is Jane. The blonde girl says, Jane, cool. I'm sorry, cool dress. That's not a period. Cool dress. You've got spunk. I like that. It's so different. Why don't you sit with us? And you can see their expressions too. Now here's my question. Should Jane sit with them? Anybody think she should? Are we in complete agreement that she should not sit with them? Okay, before we go any further, do you realize how weird that is? You are all absolutely convinced she should not sit with them. Based on one page, tell me why she shouldn't sit with them. The girls look menacing. Really? They're smiling, though. Look at those smiles. She's, she's smiling back there, isn't that... Okay, what? There's only like five lines composing that face. You can see that there's something going on there. Listen, I'm giving you a hard time. You are exactly right. The word different is in italics. Okay, well, now it's, it's working. So, that is not a normal smile. There's a problem with that smile, right? Either the artist isn't very good or it was not intentional. This artist is good. It's intentional, okay? Somebody just said... The word different is emphasized. It's so different. Ooh, right? Don't sit there. Somebody said clothes. What do you mean by that? What's lack the issue? Of, like, like, like lack of. Violating high school dress code. To be fair, maybe in their high school it's not a violation. But, but Jane's got a dress that comes all the way to the top. And this one clearly doesn't. Anything else? Yeah. All, they're in a cafeteria. All the tables got food on them, but they, they've, they've got, got water. water. They haven't got food. Mm. Ooh! What does that tell us? Yeah, there's, that, this is unnatural, man, because it's lunchtime. You should be eating food. If you're a teenager, you should be eating a lot of food. That, that's. I just think we should always be eating a lot of food, clearly, but yes. style hair, like a. Their hair's all down. Mm -hmm. All in the medical, in the medical. I have never, I've been doing this for years. I've never noticed this. All three Hello. kids. Because you can see her hair up there. They're parted in the middle. Uh -huh. It's kind of like they're clones. Oh, they're cute. You were about to say? No, no, I was just saying her hair is really short. They probably don't like her. Oh, her hair doesn't match. It's, it's not parted in the middle. It's a little bit unkempt, or maybe that's intentional. I don't know women's hair, but, um, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, anything else? Hey, new girl. When you're trying to be nice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that kind of implies that she has an overconfidence that's a little weird, right? What else you got? I'm only saying this because we haven't hit bottom yet. You keep coming up with more stuff. I think on the bottom one, those two almost look like they're looking at the leader. Yeah. Yeah, there's something creepy there anyway. Okay. Well, in the first two of the girl in the middle, that for the that one, she doesn't trust it. I mean, you can see from the expression she's looking, but there's a sense of the way she said. She's smart enough to know herself, but then here, what's going on here? Trying to be not so gruff looking because right? she's the new girl. <laughs> I think she's gonna she, like she starts out by going, "This is messed up," and then she kind of goes, "No." I'm going to give it a chance. Does that seem like a reasonable interpretation? Yeah. I think it's more that she's calling him out for calling her new girl and saying, I actually have a name. It's known first. I like that, although I'm not sure the face. I, I, that's a, a good interpretation. Face. What's that? It's not a sassy face. The first one is. But so Nikki face. says it's not a sassy that's face. That's not how I would respond sassily. Okay. But it's assertive. It's like my name is. She's, she's not, this, one thing we find out about this character is she's, she's not a weak character. Is that fair? And we get that impression pretty well. Good. Anything else? There's probably more, but we'll stop there. That was an amazing bit of analysis with one page. You can get your kids to do that. And there's a lot that goes on when we do stuff like that. Um, yeah, good. Uh, a couple other things there. So we interpret. Well, what were we doing here? We were interpreting words. We were interpreting faces. We were interpreting clothing. We were interpreting props. 
Um, and to some extent, we were interpreting movement because we had this here, the right? Scene. It's kind of the, the turn part. Um, so we interpret all that stuff. Here's the other thing. If you want classroom activities with graphic novels, I have read so many studies where somebody taught a graphic novel, and then at the end they said to their students, and here's how we're going to conclude, you get to write your own graphic novel, which is kind of cool, but it's not like when we finish teaching them a novel, we go, and now you get to write your own novel. Um, we don't do that with anything. I'm not sure why we do that with here, except we think they would like to draw. If you want to do that, and it's totally cool, actually, but my recommendation would be give them a couple options. It's unfair to ask a kid who may not have extensive drawing skills to try to make a graphic novel. Dr. B.C., there are things online where you can like pull bubbles in and there are like six characters with different expressions. You're never going to get this out of one of those computer systems, right? It needs to be drawn. So what you can do is you can have them write a script. Um, if you Google Dark Horse Graphic Novel Script, uh, they have a sample. And it just shows you how to do it. It's a, it's a two-column thing where you put uh, the visuals on one side and you put the text in the other, what's being said. It's pretty easy to do. Then they get to be creative without having to do something that they're not so awesome at. Alternately, if, if some of them really like to draw, you could say, would you like to illustrate somebody else's graphic novel and work as a team? That would be cool. But even there, to be a graphic novel artist, it takes a lot of time and training. Um, the best ones have already been through full college and have been... I had a student who worked on a project when she was at Trinity. She's been drawing this project now for four years. I think in a couple years it might be publishable. But we go, okay, let's make a graphic novel. It's due in 25 minutes. That's crazy. Spread the word. You can tell them I said it was crazy. It's crazy. I, I have a question. Yeah. Have any of you guys ever done it where you choose uh, who's going to be reading which part? And if so, do you choose it? Do you let them choose it? Like at a mm -hmm. high school play, you audition for a role. But like who you chose to play the mean girl. Would make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, I they yeah. Get into it. So I did American Board Genies, and I used a document camera, and we would put it up on the screen sometimes, and sometimes they would read it on their own. But we, would, I'd put it up on my screen, and they would, they would get into it. And I, I Ryan Mulder and and Jose um, Sanchez, they would figure out like I want to be him today. No, I need to be the monkey today. So the kids and you figure out like oh he always wants to read, but he's not the strongest reader. So then you take the lead. But they get into it, like the scripts. At least that was what I was It's true. I was going to turn around, Mark, and ask, when you guys read the Bible, who, who plays what characters? <laughs> or do you not do that? No, I haven't, I haven't tried it yet. I'm trying to figure out how to do the casting here. Yeah. I've, when I've done it, I've sometimes done it randomly. But then I ask them to, to find their way into that character. And to read that one we had up before, I think you could say, how should, how should that line be said? Hey, you, new girl, what does that sound like? And that can be a conversation, too, which is pretty cool. Okay, so uh, Christy wanted some new graphic novels, so I, I really quick put some on here. Um, this is just a random shot that I thought was cute. Uh, so is this. Um, one real quick suggestion. Um, um, hi. Um, bookcommercials.wordpress.com is um, my blog. I'm embarrassed to say that I have a blog. It makes me feel uncomfortable in ways I don't understand. Um, but where I teach, there's uh, another professor who does technology, and he said, you keep having to write these long emails to students who ask what graphic novels you've been reading lately. You should just put them in a blog. So fine, I put them in a blog. It used to be wordcommercials.com. Some other uh, platform. WordPress is working much better for me. Uh, there are also YA reviews there too, and every now and then I do some picture books, but a lot of graphic novels, so that's a good way to kind of keep up without having to read everything. But here are some suggestions you might consider. Okay, so I know Mighty Jack and Zeta the Space Girl. Zeta originally started out as a book for maybe like third, fourth grade. But just like the Harry Potter books, as the, as the readership has aged, the characters have too. And so um, Mighty Jack and Zeta is the last one in the series. And yeah, this would probably be good for middle school. I think there are a lot of high school kids who would love it, but would be embarrassed at admitting they love it. Um, 
Hadke is such a master of this form. He is really good at, at the way he does that. Um, and the story, he just creates a world. It's fabulous. There's romance, but I love this. It's like middle school romance. Every time I open a YA book lately, there is this incredibly complicated sexual triangle involving alternate genders, and, and that's, I get why we need that. I, I understand it's because variety, yes, okay. This is just a really nice middle school love story, kind of, with like trolls and violence. So it's, it's good. <laughs> Uh, pigs Might Fly. Yeah, this one's also more middle school than high school. This image probably makes it look younger still, but it's actually a really cool story. Um, this girl is the daughter of the chief engineer of Pigtown, or whatever it's called, and they're trying to invent a machine that will fly, and she's done it. And her father's been spending his whole life trying to do it, so she's trying to keep it quiet, and so she does these tests when he's not looking. And then uh, she's almost ready to be finished with it, and their town gets invaded um, by people in airplanes. And so she suddenly has to get it up and going. It's a really neat story about uh, a young woman kind of finding her own space as a leader, and it's cool to read. Uh, and the final one that's maybe pitched more middle school, a lot of these are for both, but I love this one. Jason Waltz's last pick. So it's the near future, maybe five, ten years down the road. Aliens have invaded and taken over our planet. Everyone who is able-bodied has been shipped off. We have no idea where they're taking them. But everyone who is a good, healthy adult, they take. They leave behind elderly people, little kids, and anybody who has any kind of disability, physical, mental, or emotional. Um, and those people are forming a resistance to the aliens who are now stationed on the planet. So uh, this girl um, it was just left by him because she was so young. The boy is autistic, and the two of them are really capable of some amazing stuff. Okay, we're almost done. We'll make it. Nameless City is a series. Um, it deals with, it would actually be kind of interesting for history. Um, it deals with this girl who's kind of a street rat, and he's the son of the general of the army that's taken over this town. There's a lot of political intrigue. Um, it's, it, this is probably best for high school and maybe strong middle school readers. Rapunzel's Revenge is probably fifth grade, sixth grade, maybe fourth grade. Um, but it's really well drawn and really awesome. Sorry, I'm moving pretty fast because we're almost out of time. Wires and Nerve is by Marissa Meyer. Yeah, she, she wrote some really good YA. Yeah, those are yeah, a really good series. This is from that series. Like she says, Queen Selene. Yeah, but there are characters who aren't as prominent in that series. Um, and it's after that series is done, and there are some genetically modified wolf soldiers who are causing a rebellion. And there's a person who is a robot, but she's kind of a person. Cyborg. A cyborg person lady. And she's taking them on. These are really well written. Um, would totally work for high school, advanced middle school readers too. Oh boy, hey kiddo, anybody read this one yet? Oh, it's pretty powerful. Um, won't work for everybody. I would put it in your classroom library more than I would teach with it, probably. Um, it's about a kid who grows up, a true story, grows up and his, his mother is addicted to heroin. And he's raised by his grandparents. And kind of all the hard stuff he goes through just thinking about his parents. He's addicted um, to heroin? It's, no, the, his mother is. Oh. No, he's, he's fine. Okay. Uh, yeah, and he's... And he, actually, part of what's cool about it, I would put this squarely in the category of redemptive story. He's got a lot of crap to deal with, and he comes out of it really well, uh, in a good way. Okay. The Influencing Machine. If you're doing anything with media studies, <clears throat> this is such a cool book to use. Brooke Gladstone who's the host of a, a, program called, a radio program called On the Media, looks at all these aspects of the media and how it works and how things get distorted and confused, but also how it's not intentional. Um, very good, powerful, interesting book. Uh, and really useful if you're doing anything like that. And I mentioned Kindred already. And then March, some of you have used already. I just wanted to point out this one scene from March. I love this scene. 
This is very early in John Lewis's life. March is a, a, a biography of Congressman John Lewis, who was involved in the Civil Rights Movement when he was quite young. So he wasn't a super big leader. He was just like a foot soldier. This is when he's a little kid, and he's reading the Bible, and he talks about how this verse just kind of got imprinted on him. Um, and it's, Behold our God, which takes us away the sins of the world. And then it also, this is pretty blurry because it didn't come out well, but he practices preaching by talking to chickens. He preaches to his chickens, which I just think is delightful. Um, okay, and thanks. Questions? I think we have like three minutes left. Is that accurate? Yeah, you're good. Yeah. yeah. I have a question. So, this goes back way to the beginning. Yeah. Um, years ago, when we first started using graphic novels in the classroom, we had to like teach our kids how to read graphic novels. Yeah. And what to look at, what to notice with the spacing and the colors. But now, you know, my, my fifth grader has been reading graphic novels for a couple of years. Do we, in high school and middle school, do we need to teach them how to read them in yes. the same way that we kind of teach them to read novels? Or do we assume they get some of this because they've been doing it? So that is such a super awesome question. Um, thank you for asking it. Uh, I think the answer is similar to what we would do with any other book. So we start out with trying to find out where our kids are. Um, I suppose it's possible that by the time you get to high school, you might have a kid who'd never read a whole novel. I guess the difference is it's more likely that they've been taught this in fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, or whatever. So I would start by saying, how many people in here have read graphic novels? And how many people have read them in school? Um, and then how many people feel pretty strong? And if it ends up there are like three kids who don't know how to read them, I'd maybe just take them aside after class and teach them. Um, and I think as time goes on, this will be less and less of a problem. But for now, if you have ones who've never read them before, yeah, you kind of need to show them. If you're doing a lot of the activities like we were talking about there, that actually is going to help teach them how to read. Because it says, it's not that you read just the words or just the pictures, you have to read them together. Yeah, it's a great question. Anybody else? And you were talking about the criticism as approach to maybe looking at some things before. Do you find that? I want to teach a graphic novel to my group and then use and then have them pick a graphic novel so I won't know all of the graphic novels that they're going to be reading. Would that be a prompt question I could? You've got it. Most graphic novels have some kind of criticism. Sure. Um, I mean, if you're willing to take like 20, 20, 15, 20 minutes to explain these sort of, or, or whatever, pick your favorite five. Yeah. Explain five, and I, I like to use the term lenses. Uh -huh. So these are lenses to look at it. Now I've described five. You've read the book. What do you think we should use to think about this book? What would be a good lens? That'd be great. And actually, for somebody's doing literature circles, that's another thing that you can do is ask that circle. So you read this this book. I maybe haven't, or maybe I have. Whatever. What do you think would be a good lens? How should we look at this? That'd be cool. And. Um, uh, a reader response will always work. So if nothing else works, you can always use that one. Yeah, good. Yeah. You got to hook up on how to get these things at a good price because graphic novels get expensive really they, fast. They get expensive and they fall apart. Full co like full color every page? No, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, sort of. I only have like a handful because I never feel like paying for that expensive one. Yeah. I'll just get it from the library. Send it back. <laughs> so the best advice I can offer, if, if you want a class set or you want like four or five for literature circles, um, there's a website called abe.com. ABE stands for Advanced Book Exchange, and they hook together all of the independent bookstores in the world. And so it's kind of like, you know how Amazon will have that used part, but then you go there and there's like three books, and the first one is 65 cents, and the second one is 19 and the third one is like 36, and you're going, what in the world? Um, these, they're all really low, and they, they uh, will mail them to you. And sometimes I order them from, like, there'll be a bookstore in Scotland, and then when I get them, they're wrapped in the local newspaper, and that's just so much fun. Um, abebooks.com. Abebooks.com. Also, library book sales, um, letting other people know. One thing you could do if you want a class set is... You know, at the beginning of the year when you do that thing where all the parents come in and you say the same thing like 12 times about what you teach and why you teach and blah, blah, blah. You usually have a thing at the end where you say, and here's a section on what you can do. 
you might say, um, I've got a list of a couple books that I really would like to be able to teach in literature circles. I want five copies of each. Here's how much they cost. It would be great if you'd buy us a class edition, or if you don't want to bother, hand me the money and I'll send you the receipt so you know that you spent it. And you can even claim it on your taxes. Woo. Um, yeah, that would work too. Yeah. It's a real problem, and they do fall apart quickly. I have some graphic novels I bought four or five times because the spine keeps cracking. Uh, first, second books is really working on that problem because they recognize it's, it's an issue. Um, there are also some grants, but that, those are hard to find, especially in the middle of the year when you're teaching like crazy. Anybody else? Hey, way to go, you amazing and plucky group. Nicely done. Thank you.